This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I have one of my favorite humans on today to tell you about an amazing product that we both love. Well, thank you, honey. This is Milkman Mark Hyman here telling you about the almond cow, which I saw on those Instagram posts, and I thought, we've got to have one of these and see whether it is actually as good as it looks. And it is. It's actually even better because there are things that you can make out of it. Almond milk, oat milk. Cashew milk. Uh, coconut milk. Anything you want, you can make in this. And what's great is you have, there are fewer preservatives, less sugar, and then what you get left over at the end is this pulp that you can make into, can make cookies or muffins, so nothing goes to waste. And it's there anytime, so if you run out of milk, you don't have to run to the store. It is so amazing. We love it, love it, love it. So if you want to get your own, check out the link and use code Lara for extra savings. Approved by the Milkman. Good movement, and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I have Annie Dunhoff. Annie is the founder of Inga Unite, which is combining English and yoga. She has a background as an English teacher and as a yoga teacher, and she found that there was a nice little niche in combining these to help people who speak other languages learn how to speak in English to really maximize their reach for teaching yoga. So even if you're not a non-native English speaker or even if you're not a yoga teacher, you're going to learn a lot because this is a perfect example of a beautiful entrepreneur who really saw a need and niched down, meaning she really stuck to um, the specifics of teaching English to multilingual yogis. We talked today about her journey into this and learning business skills and finding courage in being yourself on the mat, being yourself as a teacher, and in finding the right path for you as a 
business person, as a yogi, all of the above. So enjoy my talk with Annie today. Welcome, Annie. So happy to have you on here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So I'd love for you to tell everybody where you're where you're joining us from and also um, give us a background of, of how you discovered yoga, how you have come to the place where you are now. Wow. Well, that's a long journey. <laughs> We're up for it. <laughs> I'm currently in the Netherlands. I just moved back here from Spain. That's where I lived for the last three to five years. I was in between uh, traveling, working abroad. Um, but I discovered yoga when I was traveling as well. And I, I was very young and didn't really know what to do yet. I was traveling a lot and doing a lot of personal development wanting to stay flexible and all that everyone or many people have that same story but then discovered that they had so much more to offer and then afterwards while I was traveling I wanted to uh, keep going to different places and I wasn't sure yet what to do so I thought if I become a yoga teacher I can keep traveling and travel around uh, teach around the world but I thought it was a bit insecure so I, I thought the same thing of becoming an English teacher and later combined the two. So I became an English teacher first, then a yoga teacher, started teaching the, the people that had in my English classes and realized that whenever they were practicing yoga, they did not understand what I was saying. But when they were in class with me, they did. So I thought maybe I should write a yoga, an English course for yoga practitioners. And to that first course, we only had yoga teachers coming. So I completely shifted and started writing English courses for yoga teachers instead. So what do you think it was about um, being in the classroom and understanding English versus being on the mat and understanding, not understanding it? What did you, do you think it was that there's so much focus on other things that are happening and that bypasses or overrides any ability to translate? I think that's one thing, definitely. The other thing is that in general classes, it's really focused on learning grammar, uh, being able to have a, a daily conversation, order a coffee, get your uh, way around at the airport and stuff like that. But, and very much a focus on exams. So passing certain things to show that you're, you have an ability to prove that you've got level A1 to C1 or C2. Are you aware, with, uh, familiar with those terms? We must have something somewhat analogous here about, <laughs> we, we have tests in different levels of school, primary, middle school, and, and those are set up by the government to, to assess mm -hmm. how individual states and then individual counties in the state are doing to meet the needs of the students, you know, so it's it's as much about seeing if the students are keeping up, but also is the school teaching them what they need to be teaching them. Yeah, well, these levels really speak to the student themselves. They are set by the European framework uh, for learning languages, and basically, A one is a beginner, and C two would be um, someone that really masters the language so that they speak better or at the same level as native speakers do. Um, but it's very much focused on passing those exams. So when you go to a yoga class, you speak about completely different things. It's the body, your mind, 
maybe it's spirituality, things to do with the philosophy. So all those terms and the type of vocabulary doesn't come up in a general English class. So give me an example. If you're teaching your first language, is it Dutch? Yeah. So if you're teaching uh, primarily native Dutch speakers, do you teach them in Dutch or do you teach a little bit in Dutch and some in English? Mm -hmm. um, well, I teach everything in English. From the moment they walk in, the conversation is in English. They have to ask questions in English as well. And if they don't know the words, there are other people in the class that can help them or they can use their hand and their feet. <laughs> Or try to find synonyms, maybe explain what the word means, or maybe draw it and speak about it. But everything is in English. The interesting thing I imagine teaching yoga um, and in the process also teaching a new language is that it you can really experience the language. Like it's like you're not just pointing to a pour me some tea, but you're actually pointing to your body or the movement of the body or something you should be doing or maybe the breath. So I imagine it might be an easier place to learn something because you start to, I, I know this from being a physical therapist, knowing no Spanish at all. I was, I was uh, practiced French growing up and having Spanish speaking um, clients who spoke no English I would learn really quickly, like what is it, you know, what is their knee, like, and how to say bend your knee, or because it was, it just landed. Like this was, I could put it right into practice right away. Do you find that the uh, understanding of yoga becomes like together with the language, they kind of merge and, and it's and it lands quicker? Yeah, I think this is a really great way. But it really depends on the student as well, because there are many different learning styles. And the, what you're describing really matches the needs of kinesthetic learners. So they learn by doing things or by acting it out, speaking, being in conversation and interaction with others. But then you've got visual learners, so they really benefit from demonstration and watching the teacher doing things. You've got people that really need to hear everything to absorb information. So I think it works for some, but others will have different needs as well. How would you say that teaching in multiple languages, like if you were going to talk to another yoga teacher, who I'm assuming you're mostly geared toward non-English teaching, right, okay. So how is it going to help them? Because I'm sure they know that, but there could be a struggle in wanting to uh, take that, you know, extra step of learning English or learning how to teach yoga in English. But can you talk about the benefits of that? I'm, I, I have a feeling I know. <laughs> <laughs> the benefits of learning to teach yoga in English? Mm-hmm. Many, and I think that you're thinking of the same things as I do. <laughs> but I think the biggest benefit there is that it really expands your options in the world of yoga, because it means that you're not tied down to one place anymore, but that you can teach literally everyone around the world. As we know, and it's not always something that we are very proud of, but English is a world language and it's spoken everywhere. It's the most common way of communicating around the world. So that means that you can teach people around the world and work at different type of retreat centers or host workshops and events in different places. So there's a lot more opportunities that way. 
And I think another benefit as well is that yoga in English has evolved a lot more than it has in other countries. So there's a lot more awareness among English speakers and a lot more, well, more people practice it as well. So you can really take up your studies and get deeper into knowledge that you maybe gained in, in your yoga teacher training, but go into continuing education, for example, that's not accessible in your language, but it is in English. You're right. I I, I agree. I, I was immediately assuming what it's going to do is just open up your world. Like you can... Say if you only speak Spanish, you know, you're going to primarily only going to be able to go to those countries that speak that language. And, you know, if you learn also on top of that English, it, it, it just your own business and your ability to reach more people is going to grow exponentially. An interesting thing I found, I have a lot of teachers all over the world who English is their second or third, sometimes their fourth language. I'm always stunned, honored, and also humbled uh, because I only speak English. Um, and But what I've noticed is often they are better in some ways at communicating because they're very clear. There's not a lot of extra filler words that primarily English-speaking people will put in there. Have you found that to be true once someone does take that step and starts to teach in English that they're actually like really eloquent because they're so there's no extraneous words? Yeah, I absolutely agree with this. I think the beauty of native speakers is is that they speak a lot more fluent and smooth and they can add a lot of beautiful phrases and make it very flowery and spiritual. And I think that is something really, um, really beautiful. But the good thing with speaking it as a foreign language is that you really have to think of your words and be very specific and you don't really have um things that can distract you as a speaker or as a teacher but also the filler words like you mentioned or unnecessary words that come in and actually distract your students in class tell us a little bit about what you have developed and how you decided um the best approach like did you start with this is how you start a class. This is how you would introduce it in English. How how does your whole um, training set up? Mm -hmm. um, so we've got various courses, but I think the very first thing is overcoming the fear of speaking in public. And a lot of students or teachers in this case, they, they fear speaking because they're embarrassed of their accents or they're afraid of making mistakes. They, they're afraid that other people won't understand them. So I think that fear or that limiting belief is the very first thing to overcome. And then afterwards, moving on to very basic vocabulary about the body. So all the general body parts that we use in yoga, um, action verbs that they need to know to actually instruct and get people up and moving, um, prepositions and, and words that indicate direction and movement. And what is the other thing? Well, the breath. And there's a lot of different ways to cue the breath. So those are the basic things to learn. But from there, you see that there are a lot of different, different teaching styles. And the teachers that we work with usually have some teaching experience already. And they notice that when they teach in English, their personality as they have in their own classes doesn't shine through as much as they do in uh, teaching English. So they want to learn specific phrases that can be metaphors or hypotheses or 
things to do with storytelling and philosophy. So we focus on every individual and what it is, the knowledge that they need to develop to really maintain the teaching style they have in their first language, but also then in English. Do you create this completely on your own? Most of it, yeah. That's am- <laughs> Yay, amazing. <laughs> Uh, is it is it online only or do you also do it in person or is it only in person? Well, we started in person just before Corona happened and then we moved everything online. At the moment, everything is online because this way I can as well reach a lot more people around the world that or don't have the, um, the financial support to actually travel already. Uh, and just and they can do it whenever they want as well so they don't have to go to a, a place and take days off for it i am planning to host retreats or maybe workshop weekends in different places because i think it would be very beneficial as well to meet with other people in person and be immersed in a space where we all go through the same process but that's um on the horizon <laughs> the things we have to plan with just, you know, coming out of this uh, pandemic bubble a little bit. I'm, I'm curious, um, for people that have gone through your training, uh, what, how, how do they then go and find, put themselves out there to find more of these international opportunities? Do you give any recommendations for that? I mean, that seems more of a giving some business advice, but maybe is that included in your training? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, having that knowledge and being able to do it is one thing, but my aim for them is to actually do it as well. So we help them um, set up their own business. So it's the very last module of the course that we offer. They will learn how to put all their their website together, the social media. If they want to, they can maybe focus on creating courses or training workshops. Hosting retreats is a big one. Most of them do want to host retreats or work at retreat centers. Um, And for that, I would help them writing with, um, sorry, help them writing their CVs or their cover letters. So we do focus on the whole business side of it as well. Um, so for people that have done that, have done their training, what have they reported back so far to you? Really, really great feedback. And I'm super proud of all of them. We've got one girl from Brazil and straight after she finished, finished, she started teaching at the Indian embassy in Brazil. So she's teaching people from India in Brazil, which is really, really cool. Um, yeah. And we've had a few people that started their own business. So they are now teaching online or corporate yoga, and but they live in a foreign country. So they moved abroad and then started doing that where they live now. So we've got a girl from Mexico that now lives in Paris and a girl from Argentina that moved to Germany. And they all go out, they go into the world and start applying what they've learned much more emboldened and courageous to put themselves if you move to a different country but you have that common language of English in the, in the yoga world it does allow you to to not feel held back by going and trying to get into a studio or teaching I am curious if you've been met by any um, anybody saying like well why not just use Sanskrit as the common language 
Mm -hmm. We have this question very often, and I think it's really important that we honor Sanskrit and that we use it in our classes. And that when you speak about asanas or there are terms that you want to explain to do with stirasuka or fire, things around the uh, chakras, I think it's really important that we uh, honor that and that we include it as well. But we have to also bear in mind that the students that come to our classes might not know English and they probably don't know Sanskrit either. So you need to be able to explain it in several ways before to actually create that awareness and understanding among your students as well. Um, it is really important to know the Sanskrit um, terminology and especially the descriptive terms that are maybe not even for a pose. But in a, in a class, it can be intimidating if you only were to use that. So I remember when I was teaching originally and was mostly using Sanskrit poses, I would names for poses, I would always say, you know, Ardha Chandrasana half moon, like just kind of like all together. And I have found a lot of those poses, I just only speak them in English now for different reasons. Some of my poses are just kind of a conglomeration that I've made up um, anyway, so it just makes it more consistent. But I was just wondering if that had come up with you because the other thing is Sanskrit is kind of like Latin. It's not, um, it's a root language. It's not necessarily a language that was meant to be spoken in the same way. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I think, you know, just like unless you're going to Roman Catholic <laughs> services <laughs> where they're only speaking Latin, it's probably, it's just not many people are going to be familiar with it. So I think it's just more um, welcoming to have that for just like they've, they've got enough things to think about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So is there any, any other language that you think is an important one? Or are you mostly focusing on English? In terms of teaching in yoga, teaching yoga in another language? Us English speaking, like there are Spanish and Chinese are very, very also um, spoken in high percentages around the world. Do you mm -hmm. see yourself expanding to recommend that, even though that might not be your language, you might be bringing somebody on, or do you right now think that English is primarily what you'll focus on? No, this is also something <laughs> you're, you're touching all, all the secrets. But <laughs> no, we're working behind the scenes, we're working on the Spanish version as well. I speak Spanish fluently. And I love the language. I think it's really, really nice. And it's very different teaching or well, practicing in Spanish than it is in English. The way that they speak in a yoga class, again, is different. Um, and I think it's beneficial for what you said, because there's so many Spanish speakers around the world as well. Uh, business. I mean, did you have... a? any kind of business background or did you have that flair of entrepreneurism or is just you saw there was a gap and a need and you happen to have the you know this the teaching English and teaching yoga background and filled it um I think it's a combination I definitely didn't have a business background at all but my, my father is a business, uh, what was he, an entrepreneur. He's had many, many different businesses. So I kind of grew up seeing that. And when I thought of how can I combine these two things, I realized that there was no really, and no other way than having a business. So I invested in a business coach and I'm still working with her. 
um, I think for the last three years or so. So still learning, still trying new things. And it's really paid off. I wouldn't have been able to do it without investing in business education because there are so many things that you can't even think of by yourself and that you come across and realize like, I can't do this alone. There's someone that I need support from along this journey. Um, and more, more so because everything is constantly changing as well. It really is. Is there anything along the way that um, you wish you had done a little differently or um, a lesson that you have learned from not doing it the you know the way that probably would have been most effective the first mm -hmm. time around? I think there were many, there are many things I can speak about, but I think for people listening to this, it would be that I didn't soon enough hone in on my niche. And I wanted it to be very accessible to everyone. And that's why I started with, <clears throat> excuse me, I started with English for yoga only. And it was for practitioners, teachers, anyone that wanted to learn English for yoga but we only had teachers joining and I just kept pushing it for everyone and it didn't work. It wasn't niche enough or specific enough. And it took me, I think, a year and a half to actually make that decision. Okay, we're only going to focus on teachers right now. And that's when everything turns out a lot better and faster. The community grew much faster and well, loads more, more success. So I think your niche is really, really important. Oh, I, I love that you said that. I sometimes think that when we, obviously, like when I think, I want everybody to move better, and it that is. But to put that out there in a business way is just kind of like throwing water in the air and seeing all the droplets go but not make any landing. So I, I, I agree with you, and anybody that's listening, Annie has great advice. Like, even if you make it a much smaller population, so you fear, like it's all based on fear. It, fear. it feels like fearful because there's fewer people to pull from. That is still a very large population to work with is yoga teachers. And yoga teachers are such a small population compared to like office workers. Like, so whatever it is, um, I think the niche is so important to figure out and to get very, very clear on and not stray from that. Even, even though in your heart you may want to, you know, give it to anybody who needs it. It's just um, because then your teachers are going to do kind of the ripple effect for you. And when you see that something works like you'd have, then you can start thinking about doing it in another language. And who knows what else is in your the back of your mind. But I think it's when you're an entrepreneur, it's kind of constantly looking at where else you can go. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So any final tips for teachers who are feeling, A, that they want to possibly learn English as a, you know, for yoga, but also want to show up on the mat and teach from their own voice and not be like mimicking of like whoever they learned from or just finding their authentic voice? Do you have any tips for them? Yeah, absolutely. I think the very first thing is starting with yourself and what you most love about yoga, maybe what uh, drew you to yoga in the first place. And going from there, your interests and your passions and the things that you would like to share with your students. But also remembering, and I think this is going back to your previous point of wanting to serve everyone, also remembering that every teacher 
will be no, sorry every student will choose a teacher that works for them and you haven't been every student and uh, everyone's student and not everyone will be your student either so it's not um yeah it's letting go of the fear of the role of a yoga teacher being a yoga teacher copying what you heard from others but really showing up as yourself and i think after that checking in with your fears and your limiting beliefs the things that are actually holding you back and finding ways to overcome them and i think like i said for many it's the fear of speaking in public or being judged or making mistakes or what others think of them and reminding yourself of what your purpose really is and what you want to share and what you're actually doing it for and I think a lot of teachers think too much about themselves and the way that they are perceived but if you turn that around and think about how you can help others and how you can help them improve their lives the dialogue changes and it will help you to stay motivated and actually get out there um, I often talk about like for me service this is teaching is a service and if you can continue to think of it from that versus like worry 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 about how you're perceived or what you look like or it just it's that's it that's exhausting it's exhausting you right versus like letting you really really be in your flow and be yourself and like you said not everybody's like you're not going to be for everybody and not everybody's going to be for you i think that's so that was beautiful to to say because i think that that's in that's an inherent fear within everybody is they want to be liked they want people to like their class they want them to come back for various reasons but it's it may or may not happen and i think what you do is you present yourself and then let go of the any attachments to whether they like it or not you know it's like don't um, be anybody different than you. Everybody else is taken. And another thing I'll say is after just being in Europe for two weeks, we would go around and every, you know, we, people would say they would love our accents. And we're like, what? Americans? You <laughs> like, our, like, we love all the accents. You know, we had people from all over. We were traveling in Italy. We were traveling in England and in Ireland. And then in, in addition to that, we were having people coming from all over. And it, I think that everybody um, doesn't give their own their own native tongue uh, uh, enough credit. It's beautiful. Whatever language or whatever country you're from is like really continue to be that. And if you speak English and with an accent, I think it's gorgeous. <laughs> Absolutely gorgeous. I love it so much. Yeah. Me too. We've got this phrase and I can't remember where I first saw it, but I remind all the students that we work with of, and it's a foreign accent is a sign of bravery. And it's <laughs> absolutely I, I, it is it is just stunning to me like how you and so many um people worldwide speak multiple languages and that is just uh, i wish that it was placed there were there was an emphasis on that in the united states um because i feel like we've really missed out on that so it's it's beautiful and you're right it is courageous as well so how, how do you stay courageous? How, what is your self-care like? What is your, um, what do you do in those moments where you have any kind of um, doubt comes in? Doubts, like the fears and the things that are holding me back? Just doubts in life, you know what I mean? Like, we all, <laughs> <laughs> like oh my gosh. Well, I think my yoga practice 
And what I do is really depends on the day. I'm not very consistent. Like I wake up and that's the first thing I do. But I do make sure that every day I'm on my mat and move in any kind of way that works for me. I walk a lot. I go for hours and hours. We've got a really nice park and forest just across from the street where I live. And it's amazing. So I walk a lot. Journaling. I think it's all like yogic practices and things that we learn on this journey and making that part of your lifestyle. Well, you are beautiful inside it out. And I love that you've created this very unique and needed niche. Um, where can people find out how to sign up for your courses? Because I know that I personally have a lot of international students, um, but there's many more international teachers who I think would benefit greatly from being able to diversify and expand kind of their terrain and where they can go and not just their physical and financial terrain, but their just inner emotional and um, uh, psychological terrain as well. Mm -hmm. So you can find everything on engaunite.com. So Enga is English and yoga combined. It's nothing fancy. (laughs) Is this somebody's name? Because I know an Inga, but not spelled like that. Yeah, so it's E-N-G-A, Inga. I love it. English and yoga. Yeah. Simple. E-N-G-A, unite.com. And then on social media, we use the same thing everywhere. So if you type that in, you'll be golden. you find it. Inspiration and showing how um, looking at opportunities that are right in front of you that also happen to really be in line with your passion can create this beautiful profession, avocation um, that truly is a service to others and that clearly is filling you up as well. And I think that's, you know, whether or not anybody uh, needs this, like you're already English speaking, um, I think you're such a great example of like, yeah, be clear about your niche. Look for the opportunities that are maybe in front of you that are in alignment with what you're already passionate about and um, be courageous. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy. And as always, to everybody listening, I'm pulling for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.